We're actually going to look at one crazy, busy day in the life of Jesus. Anybody have any of those kind of days? No? <laughs> Jeff never has them. Working multiple jobs. And, yeah. Um, and so what we're going to see, I think, is that even though it was hectic, he still found some time to reconnect to the source of his mission, his father. And so that last song is perfect way to lead into this. Uh, so will you pray with me? Lord God, we wish to see Jesus by your Spirit's power. Give us eyes to see his glory through Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So you ever have those days, right, where you seem like you're just running from one thing to another, like a chicken with its head cut off to the next thing, just hoping not to be late. And so I was reflecting on this when I read the scripture. I'm like, ooh, I just had, I just had one of those days. And so it, it sort of went like this. You know, I, I was up pretty early, showered and out the door before 7.30 for this breakfast, breakfast meeting that I had with one of our mission partners um, at Harold's House of Omelets, one of my favorite places. Um, and so five cups of coffee later, Jeff and I were meeting to plan worship. So I got in the car, went across town to meet Jeff at the coffee bean to pl plan worship for the following Sunday. That was another cup of coffee. Um, and worship planned, I hopped into the car at a lunch meeting with Tina Hamas. Um, and so over here in Westlake. And so by the time I got to lunch, I had the caffeine shakes like big time, six <laughs> cups of coffee. Um, so I switched over to water. And so about five cups of water later, multiple trips to the bathroom by now, um, having to try to make it to Walnut for tutoring by 2.30, which I did, barely. And then I was humiliated and beaten down by the Common Core. Anybody know <laughs> the new way of doing math? Um, the old way didn't work for me, so the new way definitely didn't work for me. Um, I was beaten down after this. I got home at about 4.15 or so to the office for the first time in the day, check, you know, check all the emails, return the phone calls. Uh, by about 5.30, got in a quick workout, started immediately on dinner. And I just remember like when I reflected on this day, I hit the couch after dinner and was just like totally destroyed. You know? And I looked back over the day, and here's a few things that I noticed about it. Well, one, it wasn't all that abnormal. It's actually fairly normal. Um, we all have days like this all the time. Um, I also noticed that I drank way too much coffee. Um, and that was probably a big part of my problem. <laughs> um, but there was no rhythm to it. There was no balance to it. It was just one of those things where it was go, 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 go the whole time. And so the last thing, I, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, I accomplished a couple things, but nothing really that great happened. Um, no babies were saved from burning buildings. This is the way that I judge my, my work. <laughs> and, and thousands were not added to the Lord's number on that day. Um, it was just like, it's just a day. It was just busy, you know? Um, and so today we're going to look at that. And so hopefully that gets us thinking about a day like that in our own, in our own lives, right? And we're going to compare these days. So this is the one I'm comparing to Jesus' day. You come up with your own. Um, we're going to look at a hectic day in the life of Jesus as we listen to Mark's rendering of this busy day, a few things to think about, right? See if you can discover any pattern or rhythm to Jesus's day. Was it just go, 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 go? Or was there some sort of, is there any sense that you can make out of it? Um, and take notice of the kinds of things that Jesus was doing during this busy day. Um, because I think babies were saved and thousands were added to the Lord's number on this day. So something a lot, a lot more important than my day was going on. So what are those things that were going on? And then note the different ways that people respond to Jesus throughout the day. Like, who are the, who are the people that are problematic 
Uh, who are the people that are getting it? And I think you're going to, that one's interesting. I think you're going to find uh, some surprises here. So let's, let's hear it from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. It reads like this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up, went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. I just noticed there's a lot of casting out of demons in there, three of them, um, and I don't really even deal with that. Maybe I missed something. <laughs> I'll come back and get this later. Um, these events comprise one single day in the life of Jesus. They actually start at verse 21, where we were last week. Um, this single day is broken up by these words that Mark uses, as soon as or at once. So we feel how, you know, we talk, we break up our day, we use something like that. This is how Mark breaks up Jesus' day. Every time we see as soon as or at once, Jesus is quickly going from one thing to another. And that's what I like about Mark. Mark's really fast-paced. It's action. Jesus is always on the move in Mark's gospel. It's a great one for, like, teenagers, you know. So, like, anytime teenagers ask me, what gospel should I read? The answer is Mark because it's the shortest and it's the most action-packed. All right? So Mark always moves quick. So we know that this day in the life of Jesus, uh, it was actually the Sabbath day, which began at sundown on Friday evening. It concluded at sundown on Saturday evening. And so the day began in this public space, the synagogue. It was really quick, but it was at the beginning. Um, That's where it began, the local gathering place of the Jews. And this is what we looked at last Sunday, where we looked at the beginning of this day is where Jesus was teaching Torah with authority He healed this man with an unclean spirit, with authority, this authority that we determined last week is that that could only come from God. And so that theme continues into today's continuation of the same day. The issue of Jesus' authority is is carried over uh, throughout the day. So just a stone's throw away from the synagogue in Capernaum is probably the Apostle Peter's house. All right, so we're going to get the Apostle Peter's house up here. This is pretty cool. Jesus leaves the public space, the synagogue. He takes his disciples to a more private arena, the house of Simon Peter and his brother, Andrew. He goes to Peter and Andrew's house to escape the crowds, to spend some quality time with his disciples. He takes them from the kind of clamor of the synagogue to the quiet of a home, right? And so the pictures on the right are from Dale and Wendy. Of course they've been there, like I said last week, right? So those are the ones... I knew it. So, Dale, you weren't here, but Wendy was. I, I, I'm like, Wendy, you've been there, haven't you? She goes, yeah. <laughs> she probably said four times, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so those two are from Wendy. Um, she sent them to me yesterday. And so you can see the original floor beneath the glass. So you can walk over. They've excavated this down to the first century floor. 
Um, and then that's a picture from the outside where they built a church over uh, the site of Peter's, or this original house. That, and there's pretty good, from what I can gather, there's pretty good archaeological evidence to say that they really do believe that this is actually the home that we're talking about. Uh, that they built this church right on top of uh, Peter and Andrew's home, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, so they arrive at Peter's house for a little R&R. They discover that his mother-in-law is sick, right? Um, down for the count with the fever. Now, fevers in the ancient world, this is serious business. This isn't like the get-out-of-school-free card thing. You know what I mean? Like, these are life-threatening kind of things. So it's, we're, we're, I think we're supposed to take it as it's probably pretty serious. Mark doesn't care at all about the details, the illness. He doesn't tell, tell us anything about it. Only that Jesus, out of compassion, exercises his authority over this illness. He takes her by the hand, and he helped her to her feet, restoring her to health. And so this is a detail that just that got me going. And so I'm going to go for a couple minutes with it. A detail in my mind it's worth noting. Because she's not only restored to health, she's also restored to her work, to her purpose. All right? And we see her resuming this personal ministry of hospitality. And so the word here means table waiter. Now, some Christians, and this stuff drives me nuts, which is why I'm going to spend a couple minutes on it, actually take this passage, they kind of misuse Peter's mother-in-law to support the relegating of women to serving capacities. I've heard this a bunch of times, right? And it drives me crazy, because this is not what Mark is talking about, and I'm going to prove it to you. (laughs) So this is an important topic for today. We hear the word misogyny today like it's, you know, I hadn't heard that word in a long time, and we're hearing it regularly in the last year. And so it's important in this cultural climate. And I was looking at this topic, and I found this incredible article in the Washington Post about this story. And this is just this is great. It's a story about an African American woman who desperately wanted to attend the Women's March on Washington, and because she's a 24-hour crisis hotline operator, she could not miss her job. So she's at work, and her friend is at the march, and her friend texts her a screenshot from a local male white politician who had posted these misogynistic jokes online about the Women's March in Washington. And so this guy was dumb enough to actually post this on his Facebook for the whole world to see. And he wrote, will the Women's March be over in time for them to cook dinner? Okay? So he thought he was pretty funny. And a lot of people around the country didn't find that so humorous, including our African-American hotline operator. That when she saw that, she decided at that moment that she was going to run against this guy for public office. (laughs) And this is incredible. Having zero political experience, she unseated this guy and won by a thousand votes, right? (laughs) So this is just great. So here, here it is. This is not necessarily a biblical truth, but it's nonetheless still true, and it's important to me. Um, A man's place is in the kitchen, right? A woman's place is in the kitchen, Everyone's place is in the kitchen. This is really simple stuff. Why? Because that's where the food is. Right? Are you with me? All right. Now for the biblical truth. The words to serve used about Peter's mother-in-law. This is is where we probably should have just gone. I could have skipped that last part, but I I couldn't help myself. The words to serve used for Peter's mother-in-law are also the same words used to describe the mission of Jesus. This is really important. Listen to Mark. You're going to help me with this. Listen to Mark 10, 25. This is what the Lord himself says. Whoever wishes to be great among you 
must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be the servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be, but to, it's the same word, over and over and over, but to give his life as a ransom for many. This is important stuff. Jesus, the Lord himself, came to be a table waiter, right? This serving is the way of Jesus. Serving is the, it's for women, it's for men, it's for all of us, because service is what describes one of the essential characteristics of the kingdom of God, that the proper response to Jesus touching our lives, the word that Mark actually uses is when he lifted her up, it's this resurrection like symbol, he lifts her up, he raises her up from death to life, and her response is to serve. Now, I was in a, reminded me when I, when I was looking at this stuff again, it reminded me of this meeting that I had years ago. I've worked in multiple churches, so don't try to figure it out. Um, but I was in this <laughs> staff meeting one time that I never forgot. And so the children's pastor and I were talking, joking around about, this incident where this, this middle school party and some kid took a water balloon and he put a water balloon in a urinal. Imagine what can happen. And so you flush it a couple times and it sucks the water balloon into the urinal and creates a perfect seal. And then a bunch of middle school kids went to the bathroom in the urinal and then they just keep hitting it over and over and over for like 20 minutes until when I say flooded, I mean like inches deep of water with other stuff in it <laughs> and so I go into the bathroom to see what's going on so I'm like man these kids have been in there for a long time and lo and behold I'm standing in a pool of pee water it it took about well first I had to reach my hand in to take the water balloon out and I wash my hands afterwards don't worry um, and, but it took about an hour to clean the flooded uh, bathroom and then you know you finish and you walk out and there's there's popcorn is, I mean, you guys know this, the people that have done youth ministry, they understand this stuff, right? This is normal stuff. You get the vacuum cleaner out, you vacuum up all the popcorn. And so the children's pastor and I were joking around about this. We're talking about this story. We're laughing. We're having a good time. I'm going to admit, like, it wasn't fun. Um, but it's part of the job, you know? It's just part of, it's just what you do. We were used to doing that kind of stuff, and we were blown away because there was a fellow staff member who was listening in and uh, into our conversation and he was laughing, and he's like, you know what? I don't even know where the church vacuum cleaner is. That's what he said. I don't even know where the church vacuum cleaner is. Um, that really got me thinking. Like, is it someone else's job? Whose job is it to do the kind of stuff, that kind of stuff? You know? Because what he seemed to be saying was that that kind of work was for somebody else. You know, not for him. And so I'm convinced, when I look at this passage... I'm convinced that Jesus knows where the church vacuum cleaner is. Like, and Jesus is not afraid to use it, you know? This is important stuff to me. Um, it's not, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to, to serve. And that we see this example of Peter's mother-in-law restored to health and to purpose. And the first thing she does is she serves Jesus and the disciples. So, so far... In this day in the life, right, Jesus has gone from the public space of the synagogue, the private space of Peter and Andrew's home, but things change again. The whole town, Mark says, came out to Peter's house. They gathered around the house where Jesus and the disciples are hanging out. Now remember, it's the Sabbath day. The Jews weren't forbidden to work or travel, so probably when Mark says the whole town came together, I think he means it. 
you know? Um, they really did. And, and think about this, why wouldn't they? Right? Why wouldn't they come? Why wouldn't the sick and the hurting all want to come to Jesus after seeing and hearing the stuff that, that he'd been doing? You know, his fame was making its way through Galilee pretty quickly. He's been teaching and healing with authority. Like, and I thought about this. I'm like, man, if I were in Capernaum on that day, by the time I got to Peter's door, right, I would have been like a kid going to see Santa at the mall. Like, I would have had my list of ailing body parts for the Lord. Like, you wouldn't believe, you know? Hey, can, can I get a new hip? You know, take the arthritis out of the right knee, maybe liposuction a couple pounds off the gut. Um, like, I would have had my list ready, like, you know? Um, and I, it doesn't surprise me that after hearing what Jesus had been doing, that these people, they all want to show, they all want to show up. They all want to be around him. And so, you know, Jesus, who showed compassion on this one individual, Peter's mother-in-law. Now what he does, he shows compassion to the crowds. He heals a whole bunch of people. And so, you know, Jesus has, this is the end of his, this is the end of his day. Now he's spent. He's tired. He needs a break. And so what we see is that he takes some alone time. He's, he needs to be alone with God to recharge, to pray. And so we just note, you know, the work of God, you know, the work of the Son of God is both this inward and this outward uh, thing. Jesus rises early in the morning before sunrise. He found a deserted place where he could be alone to pray. And look what happens. Like, he can't even escape his own disciples. Right? He cannot extend himself outward anymore in works of mercy and compassion without attending to the source of the mission in the first place, the Father. And the most fascinating thing I learned this week when I was looking closely at this is that his disciples are the ones that don't get it. The ones that should have gotten it don't get it. And so Mark uses this word really intentionally. He says that they hunted. Were you surprised to hear that word? Like, that's the word that jumped out to me. He says, Jesus, Mark says that they hunted after Jesus. It's not an accident. It's used intentionally. It carries negative connotation probably even opposition to Jesus' mission and ministry. And so when I looked at this, I was wondering, why, I wonder why. And here, here's, this is my best guess. This does not come from good, <laughs> good work in, in the Bible. It comes from me thinking about this and reflecting on it. You know, I don't know the real answer. But this is what I think is going on. I think their enthusiasm is being confused with faith. This is what I think is happening. The disciples are excited. Jesus has been healing. Word is getting around. It's fascinating that when you look at this closely, it says that the forces of evil, they know who Jesus is. Jesus actually has to silence them. But his own disciples don't even get it. You know? The ones that get it, isn't that surprising? And the ones that don't get it, even more surprising, right? And so what I think is going on is I think maybe Peter wants Jesus to put on a show. You know? And it made me think of like, you know, David Copperfield in Vegas. Jesus wants to sell some tickets, or Peter does. You know, set up a stage, sell some tickets. Maybe Jesus can pull a few rabbits out of a hat. Um, and, and this is what I think Peter wants. I think he wants Jesus to make people to believe, to force them to believe. Like, Lord, if you just perform one more miracle, these people are going to believe, right? And so it's Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, that they're the ones that are the problem. They're the ones that actually interrupt Jesus' rhythm, this balance of solitude and prayer. And Jesus, look what he does. He just ignores Peter. It was as if Peter you know, completely ignores him. He doesn't even address him. He doesn't answer his question. He just says, you know what? We're going on. And the reason he says we're going on is because he says there's all these people in these neighboring towns that need to hear the message, that need to hear 
about the good news. And I think Jesus knows. It's like, look, I've already performed all these miracles. I've already taught with authority in the synagogue. If they don't believe by now, they're never going to believe. One more miracle is not going to get it done. And so Jesus continues on to the next towns to proclaim his message. And so as I kind of reflected on this, I have two things that kind of stand out um, to this crazy, busy day in the life of Jesus to finish with. And so the first one is that although the day for Jesus is hectic, it still had some rhythm to it. It still had some, some balance. And I, when I compared it to my hectic day on paper and compared it to Jesus' day, uh, what I discovered is that my day had no rhythm. It had no balance. Normally, I try to schedule in a little bit, even a few minutes here and there for a cup of coffee or whatever, a little bit of solitude, a little bit of quiet time. It helps me kind of be sane. Um, but the day that I was talking about at the beginning, it didn't have any of this, and no wonder I felt like I did at the end of the day. And so I wonder if you're like me, that when life gets a little hairy, our rhythm gets thrown out the window. Anybody relate to that? My money says that the first thing to go when things get crazy is any sort of quiet time or solitude or reflection and prayer. I mean, these are the things that we throw out the window first, which is, which is weird. Um, but it was hard even for Jesus. Look at this passage. It was hard for Jesus. His own disciples hunted after him and ruined his rhythm and balance. It wasn't even easy for him. Um, it just says that life often disrupts us from good balance and good rhythms. We can get so busy that we just run from one thing to the next, completely disconnected from the source of our mission. And so Mark is painting this picture for us of Jesus moving from, in these different spaces, right? Moving from a public space to private, more intimate spaces to spaces of solitude for prayer and reflection. And all three of these spaces are important. And so finally, the last thing is reflecting more on Peter's mother-in-law. When I read the story, I, I loved this part about the story, that Mark describes only the basic facts. She's down for the count, and Jesus raises her back up. And look at her response. On being lifted to her feet by the hand of Jesus, she immediately begins to serve him. I see her as heroic, as like this example of biblical uh, faithfulness. And so to me, when I look at her, I say, that's the proper response from a person who's been touched by the hand of the Lord, his service. I see her as a hero to me. I love it. She's an example of how we're all supposed to respond when Jesus has touched our lives. And so here's maybe something to finish with and just reflect on, right? We see Jesus in these three arenas, the public and private and kind of solo space. We see Jesus serving God's mission in both of these public and private spaces. And then we see him reconnecting with the source of mission in prayer in solitude with God in that solitary space. And so I wonder, what does this teach us as we reflect on some of these days that we have like this? What does it teach us about the rhythm and the balance of our own days? Are our rhythms out of whack? You know? If so, what needs to change to find a little bit more balance in those three areas? And may God grant us the ability not only to notice uh, the needed changes, but also to have the courage to practice better rhythms and balance in our lives for our own sanity for sure but more importantly for God's mission in the world today because to be disconnected from the source is to be disconnected from the mission itself I think that's the truth that comes out of this passage will you pray